Hello, and welcome to Notes on the Week Ahead, a JP Morgan Asset Management podcast that gives you insights on the markets and economy to help you stay informed for the week ahead. Hello, this is David Kelly. I'm Chief Strategist here at JP Morgan Funds. Today is October 11th, 2021. Today, I have the privilege of running the Boston Marathon for a third time on behalf of the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. I love being part of the team. Despite many difficult personal stories, the volunteers, organizers and runners are a very warm and positive bunch to train with. Moreover, the research conducted by Dana-Farber is critical to winning more of the millions of individual battles which constitute the war on cancer. Running for Dana-Farber also gives me a way to participate in the Boston Marathon since, perhaps not surprisingly, I lack the athletic ability to qualify on the basis of past performance. This is sad, but it is reality. In my imagination, my running is as cool and strong as the Kenyans and Ethiopians will undoubtedly lead the field. But the spectators who will cheer me on as I stagger up the Newton Hills will see the truth, which is something a good deal hotter and weaker than I would like. The same could be said of the American labour market, as portrayed in last Friday's jobs report. The weakness was evidenced in the headline job gain of 194,000, well short of the consensus expectation of 475,000, as well as a 183,000 decline in the labour force. These shortfalls were mitigated to some extent by a 169,000 upward revision in payroll gains for the prior two months, a decline in the unemployment rate from 5.2% to 4.8%, and a modest increase in the average work week. Still, the economy has 5 million fewer payroll jobs and 3.1 million fewer people in the labour force than before the pandemic. Moreover, this is clearly a supply problem rather than one of demand. Tuesday's JOLTS report is likely to show that there are still well over 10 million unfilled jobs in America compared to just 7.7 million unemployed workers. As confirmation of this problem, last week the National Federation of Independent Business reported that 51% of small businesses had positions they could not fill in September, a 48-year high. Part of the problem may still be an industry worker mismatch, as many jobs require skills that laid-off workers don't have. There are also issues related to the pandemic and childcare, which are likely keeping some potential workers out of the labour force. Finally, while enhanced unemployment benefits have ended, some workers may be able to postpone a job search for a while due to savings accumulated from government programs over the past two years. However, we should also recognise the real limits to US labour force growth. The labour force participation rate measures a percentage of the entire civilian population aged 16 and older that is working or actively looking for a job. As the baby boom continues to turn 65 in huge numbers, the measured labour force participation rate will tend to decline based on demographics alone. Indeed, it's notable that while the overall labour force participation rate has fallen by 1.70 percentage points since February 2020, from 63.34% to 61.64%, the same statistic for those aged 25 to 54 has only fallen by 1.29 percentage points, from 82.89% to 81.60%. The problem is that this prime working age population has actually declined in the last two years. A second related problem is that the pandemic and changes in U.S. regulations have combined to reduce immigration from a peak of over 1 million people per year in 2016 and 2015 to what we estimate is roughly 250,000 in the past year. While roughly 61% of the overall U.S. population is between the ages of 18 and 64, according to the Center of Immigration Studies, 73% of new immigrants fit into this age category. 
a lack of new immigrants is limiting the pool of potential workers. However, even as job growth remains weaker than we would like, a tightening labour market is contributing to a general heating up of inflation. Over the past two years, the average hourly earnings of production and non-supervisory workers have increased by 10.4%, the strongest two-year gain, apart from pandemic distortions last year, since 1983. Fast-growing wages are clearly contributing to higher inflation overall. However, this is not the only issue, as supply bottlenecks are increasing prices for a wide swath of consumer goods. Rising energy prices have more recently become a problem, with WTI oil prices rising above $80 a barrel last week and natural gas prices climbing above $6 per million BTU. The oil price surge reflects a global recovery in demand as pandemic effects fade, and some discipline on the part of the OPEC Plus group, as it only slowly ramps up production in response. The natural gas spike, at least in the United States, has partly been caused by hurricane disruptions to production, although rising demand is also a factor. Finally, rents have started to rise very sharply across the country, reflecting soaring home prices and perhaps the effect of the end of the eviction moratorium. Some of these inflationary pressures will show up in Wednesday's CPI report, which we expect to show a fourth consecutive month of greater than 5% year-over-year gains in consumer prices. It should be recognised that most of the recent inflation increase is slightly transitory, as the Federal Reserve has argued. High prices themselves provide a powerful incentive to producers and distributors to get goods to market, thus relieving price pressures. However, it's looking increasingly likely that some of this higher inflation will linger. In particular, the effects of fast-rising wages, fast-rising rents, and most of all, higher inflation expectations should keep inflation well above the Fed's long-run 2% target through 2022 and into 2023. Policymakers would undoubtedly like to see stronger growth and cooler inflation, However, this is simply not the economy we have, and we expect the Federal Reserve to bow to this reality by announcing a plan to taper bond purchases at its meeting next month and to start raising short-term interest rates before the end of next year. For investors, it's also important to recognise reality. While there are many great American companies which will be able to flourish even in a slower-growing US economy, it makes sense to be globally diversified, to benefit from markets which are more attractively priced today, and economies which have a better potential for strong growth with low inflation going forward. Well, that's it for this week. Please tune in again next week. And if you have any questions in the meantime, please reach out to your JP Morgan representative. This content has been produced for information purposes only. And as such, the views contained herein are not to be taken as advice or recommendation to buy or sell any investment or interest thereto. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the recipient. The material was prepared without regard to specific objectives, financial situation, or needs of any particular receiver. Any research in this asset has been obtained and may have been acted upon by J.P. Morgan Asset Management for its own purpose. The results of such research are being made available as additional information and do not necessarily reflect the views of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Any forecasts, figures, opinions, statements of financial market trends, or investment techniques and strategies expressed are those of J.P. Morgan Asset Management, unless otherwise stated, as of the date of production. They are considered to be reliable at that time, but no warranty as to the accuracy and reliability or completeness in respect of any error or omission is accepted. They may be subject to change without reference or notification to you. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide. J.P. Morgan Distribution Services Incorporated. Copyright 2018. J.P. Morgan Chase & Company.